Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to sing these wonderful songs that we sing of your birth. And Lord, help us to realize the gospel message that's within those and how great it, your love for us is. And we just thank you for this. We ask you to bless this time as we open your word in your son's name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26, and then we're going to go to John chapter 1. Luke 1, 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail you that are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and for his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto him, How shall this be, seeing as I know not a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore he also that holy thing that shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. And then Matthew, uh, John 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of the men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And dropping down to verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So I just wanted to look at these verses. Very interestingly, we celebrate for Christmas the birth of Jesus. At least we're supposed to be. <laughs> uh, in our world, that doesn't happen as much as it should. Many people are just celebrating giving gifts and getting gifts and a, a joyful time. I was listening to one pastor, and he, he was reading an article from this person who said we should just get rid of Christmas because nobody's celebrating Jesus' birth, and I disagree with that. Because it really doesn't matter whether he was born on December, which he probably wasn't born on December or not. But we want to celebrate his birth. And we see here the story of the, the message. Gabriel came to Mary. And one thing we know about Mary, as far as we understand, is that she was a very young girl, probably around 14 years old. She was espoused to be married to Joseph. And we have to keep in mind, in their day, when you got proposed to and you accepted it, you were as far, you were basically married at that point in time, but you did not get to sleep together. For the year after the, the husband proposed, he would go out and he would build a home and build the business and prove that he could be able to support his wife. And then he would go back to the father and say, okay, I'm coming to get my wife on such and such day at such and such time. And basically he would kidnap her out of the father's house and take her for the marriage ceremony. Uh, now, all of her friends and all of his friends knew about this, but the wife was not supposed to know about it, which uh, was a very beautiful celebration. They would have their celebration for, for a week. But Mary is in this place where she's espoused. 
and she's told by the angel, you're going to have a child. Can you imagine the news to her? Her question was very clear, uh, how can that be? Uh, I'm only a young girl, but I kind of know biology. I know I have to sleep with the man before this can happen. And the angel said it was going to be God's child. God's child. Not in the way that we see Greek mythology and all these things with the gods coming down and, and in a body and having sex with a woman and all of this, but God overshadowed her and made a child be born. A child without any male DNA. It was all God. And Jesus was going to be the incarnation of God. And being incarnate literally means, it's a big fancy word, and we sang it in a couple of our, 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 our hymns, but it literally means to be made flesh. God was made flesh. You think about this idea. The God of the universe, the God who created all the universe and everything in it, puts himself in flesh. This is something that is very hard to comprehend. And this was not a surprising thing for him. It was a planned event. When God created man, he knew that man was going to fall in, into sin. It was already known. Because it's told to us, he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. All through scriptures, we're, we're told that. He was slain before the foundation of the world. And the way it's gone over in the, in the doctrine is the God, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit got together and God says, we're going to create man, they're going to fall, and we need to buy them back. Jesus, would you pay the price? And he agreed to that. He agreed to that price. Because in Genesis 3.15, we have the first prophecy of the Messiah. When he's talking to the serpent, he says, you should, there's coming a seed of, of the woman who will... You will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. God had the plan already in place before he created us. Now, it's an amazing thing when we think about the knowledge of God. He knows everything. Okay? It's, he's, he knows everything and there's nothing that he doesn't know. There's nothing that we do that's going to surprise him. There's nothing that anybody else around us does that's going to surprise him. There's no natural cataclysm cataclysmic act, act that's going to surprise him. He knows all about it. And he knew it before he even created it all. How can he know that? Because he's God. <laughs> he knows the beginning from the end. God is not part of time. He is above time. He does not interact with time. God looks down. He sees the beginning and the end. And we've shared this before. God, because of the way he interacts with time, is with us now. He's with us at the end of time, and he's also with Adam and Eve as, at, at the same time because that's how he sees time. It's kind of like us, if we look down on, on a globe, we see the whole globe uh, you know, expanded into time. God looks at time in that same way. He sees the whole of time at the same moment. But he came as a child. Fully God and fully man. Now, God's math is a little different than ours. We would, we would say that he was half God and half man, and he says, no, I am fully God and fully man. He multiplies the two and not, not adds them. He came to this world as God. 
limited in power because of the because of the because of coming because he came as a child. You think about this. Would you, if you were going to do this, come as the weakest possible thing that you could come into this planet with? An infant needs help with everything. Everything. And God came with all the power that God has to be an infant. And sometimes we forget that he was that infant. When he got hungry, he would have cried. When he had a wet diaper and he would have had a wet diaper, (laughs) he would have cried. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. At what point did he really cognizantly realize that he was God? We don't know. We know that when he was in the temple at 12 years old, he had some very interesting conversations with the leaders of the teachers. And they were astounded at what he understood and what he knew. So somewhere before that, he got the understanding of who he was. But he came to be man and live as a man. When he was helping Joseph in the word shop, he probably messed up a few pieces of carpentry. Not because it was wrong, but just because he didn't know how to do it. And he would have had to have learned to do everything. We, we sometimes forget about this. We, we sing about him being in the, in the manger, and it's all sweet. And, you know, uh, the one song says, you know, that he's silent in the manger. You know, he's quiet. He no, 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 no crying did he make, you know. And I'm going, that's a dumb song. He's a baby. <laughs> he's a baby. He would have cried when he needed something. Mary would have had to feed him, take care of him, clothe him, bathe him, teach him. Joseph would have taught him. Because in the scriptures, the men were in charge of teaching their children spiritual things. Joseph would have been spending time teaching him. And he came as a helpless infant. The greatest opportunity that Satan had to kill him was during that period of time. And he enticed Herod to kill all the babies in in Bethlehem that were two years and younger after the two-year period that the wise men said that they saw that star. But God had taken him out to protect him. He came. Why did he come? For us. Literally even for us in this day. He knew that he was coming to die. It's pretty amazing as he talked to the disciples for almost four years. and He kept telling them, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to resurrect. They never really understood what he said. It was outside of their thinking. They're going, well, he's come. He's the Messiah. It means he's going to deliver us from Rome and there's not going to be any problems. We're going to be, you know, everything's going to be good. Israel's going to be the center of the world and all the governments are going to come to, come to Israel because he's going to rule the world. So every time he talked about, I'm going to die, they didn't hear it. It was garbled words to them. It made no sense, so they ignored it. Same thing we like to do oftentimes. That we hear something we don't agree with or don't think is right. We, we oftentimes ignore it. And all we hear is mumbling. Are they done talking? I can listen now? Nope, nope. (laughs) But he came. The word became flesh. When Jesus was born, it was not really the start of Jesus. He was God. He'd been around since before creation. Jesus is the one that walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the evening. He is the one that fought with Jacob when he wrestled wrestled with God. He's the one that walked in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they wouldn't bow down to the idols. 
He's the one that met Joshua before the battle and said, Worship me, be strong and of good courage. All through the scriptures we see Jesus in the Old Testament. He was there. That day that he was born was not the beginning of his life. It was the beginning of his life incarnate. His beginning of his life as a man. That he would live for 34 years teaching, being the example of how to live a perfect life. And not having the sin nature made it a little easier for him. Being born of just woman, he had no sin nature. He was born just as Adam and Eve were created, perfect. Unfortunately for us, we all have a sin nature. We're born sinners, automatically. And if you've ever dealt with kids, and I think everybody in this room has, we know that we teach all of our kids to be selfish, and we teach them to lie, and we teach them to be mean to other people. Of course we don't, because their sin nature brings them that way automatically. We have this tendency. Even as believers with God, we have a tendency to sin. We have that tendency and that desire. And those of us that are Christians, we know how hard we fight against it at times. That God, why do I keep wanting to do all the things that I shouldn't do? Because our sin nature says rules at those times. Can the sin nature be controlled? It can't be controlled. It needs to be put to death. Galatians 2.20 says, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He crucifies our flesh. And when we allow him to crucify our flesh, we walk a pretty good walk. Until we kind of let the flesh get up out of the grave and, and rule over us again. Been battling it for many years. It will always be there. But Jesus, on the day that he was born, was not the beginning it was just the beginning of his life incarnate. When he died at, at the cross and was buried and was resurrected, he's still alive. He just returned back to where he came from as God. Why did he live this life? So he could be one to know what we went through. He went through all the temptations, all the trials that we come through. And he did it for us. So that when we pray and we go, God... I can't make it. He goes, I know you can't, but I can help you. I can help you through this. If you remember when he was baptized, he went out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights fasting. And then it says that Satan came and tempted him with the same things that we get tempted with. Oh, you're hungry. Oh, you're God. Just make food out of the rocks. Now, every one of us are hungry. Jesus suffered hunger. He goes, I will... If you will worship me, I'll give you all the world, all the power of the world. And he says, no. How many of us sell out God for just a little bit of power in our life, power in our world? Many people have. Many people get so wrapped up in work that they sold out God for their work. He goes, you know, if you throw yourself off this pinnacle, the angels will protect you. Be presumptuous against God. Test him. Try him. God doesn't want us to do foolish things. Oftentimes he'll tell us to do things that seem foolish to us. But he's not telling us to go, you know, go stand on the edge of that cliff and jump off. It is not what he's going to tell us to do. 
When you talk to somebody or you hear somebody saying, well, God's telling me to do these things, and you look at the Bible and say, no, those aren't something God's telling you to do. Because God matches up to the scripture. Jesus died, came to, birth, to, to be born so that he could die for us. The sacrificed lamb that covers our sins. He took our punishment. He took the pain that we were supposed to deserve for our sin. When they scourged him with the Roman flagellum, with the five, seven straps of leather, with the bone and, the, and everything, they scourged him. That was the pain that we deserved. They crucified and killed him, and he took the sin of the world upon himself. Knowing that that was what he came for, he came so that he would die on the cross, die a horrible death for us because we could not get to heaven without that sacrifice. Many people want to say, well, I just need to do good works. And there's a lot of religions based on do, do good works and you'll be okay. The only problem is God's standard is perfection. None of us are perfect. None of us. No person that's ever lived other than Jesus has been perfect. And I've told a story. I, I went to the, out to the art store one time with an artist. He was looking for canvas for his pictures. I was looking at all these canvases, and they looked pretty good to me. And he's going, nope, this one won't work. I go, what's wrong with that? He's got the little dimple right there. I go, can't even see it. He goes, it'll show up on my painting. <laughs> and, he, and he went through probably 50 canvases in this shop. I think he found one that he felt he could use. His standards were pretty high. Most of us looked at it and said, oh, they're not, they're not bad. They're, there's nothing wrong with them. And he's going, nope, there's this little flaw here. There's this little dirt mark here. There's this dimple here where it's been bumped up against something. His standards were high. God's are higher. He's looking for absolute perfection. Any imperfection for God means that we deserve hell. He came so that he could die, so that he could place his righteousness on us. His righteousness. When we accept Jesus Christ, we recognize that we're a sinner and we go, God, I deserve this punishment. I accept your gift. There's 51 things that happen to us, but the most important one is that he clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. So that when we stand before God, he does not see our imperfection. He sees the righteousness of Jesus, perfection. And that's when he says, welcome, come on in. Many people on that last day are going to stand before God in their own righteousness. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us, all your righteousness is as filthy rags. When we stand before God, if we're not standing in, our, in Jesus Christ's righteousness, we're going to stand up there in our good works, which religions teach. Go stand before God in good works and you're going to be okay. And he's going to say, you've got nothing but filthy rags. Get out of here. You're not coming into heaven. This is why he died. This is why we celebrate his birthday. He came. We're not celebrating just because there's a baby in a crib or a manger. We're celebrating because he came to die. That was his whole purpose. He came, became man, so that he could die on the cross for us. 
Very important. This is a celebration of a, for us that celebrates the special gift of God that we could be saved. This is a time when we can share the gospel with people because they don't fully understand the gospel. We need to know that they, most people are celebrating that baby and they're leaving that baby in a, in a manger. Not letting him grow up, not letting him fulfill what he came for. We talk about people having a destiny. Jesus had a destiny. He knew his destiny, destiny from an early age. He knew his destiny from the moment that he started teaching the disciples. And he kept going, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to be the Passover lamb. I'm going to be the atonement lamb. I'm going to be the lamb that brings forgiveness. But it won't be just figurative forgiveness. It will be the real forgiveness. His blood covers sin. And then we have the opportunity to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's a very powerful thought as we look at this. He changes who we are. In 1 Corinthians, it says that we are a brand new creation in Christ. I've heard people go, well, I just can't get, get myself together. And I go, I know you can't. God has to do it. It's really simple. A Christian walk is really simple. We let God do all the work. And I love his plan. In, in, in the human world, you work and your employer pays you if you've got a good employer. <laughs> And he does what he's supposed to do, or she. In God's economy, he does the work and he pays us. I like his plan. It really works well. He just allows us to serve him and work for him and look forward to him. So I just want to encourage you, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today would be a good day to do that. It's a simple thing. You just call out to God and say, God, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. Thank you that Jesus paid the debt and that I can walk as, as your servant. And we're going to close in prayer here and I just want to encourage you and, and let's bow our heads. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come before you. We thank you for anybody who might need you. And I'm going to challenge you, if you don't know Christ today, ask him to come into your heart. Ask him to come into your heart and then talk to me and let me know that you've made that decision. I've got a booklet that I can give people to help them start their walk. But we're asking you, please, just say, Jesus, I have sinned. I, God, I know that I deserve punishment. Come into my heart and make me a new creation. And for all those that are Christians in this room, I ask that you just start sharing that gospel with people. Help people understand that they need God. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.